Father, I do thank you for this group. I thank you for their um, for their faithfulness to be here on Sunday morning when it's gorgeous outside and the lake is calling. They're here and they want to hear from your spirit this morning, both in this class and in uh, the larger service of our church. I, I pray that you would meet us here again today, that your spirit would move among us, that we would be again reminded of the beauties of Christ, why we love him, why we should love him more, why we trust him, and why we should trust him more. And out of that uh, change of the heart from glory to glory that you promise in your word, there would flow a love for one another a love and a desire to serve one another, to view the other as greater than ourselves because they also bear the image of Christ being formed in them by the work of your Spirit. Would you be with us this morning? Would you glorify Christ among us this morning? It's in His name we pray. Amen. From time to time, uh, I like to do, uh, to take a break from our reg regularly scheduled programming um, and explore some things and um, it, it, it was really impressed upon me a couple of weeks ago or more uh, to, to talk about the topic we're going to to discuss this morning but we were in the middle of uh, the Cornelius conversion thing and I wanted to get through that and get to a good stopping spot but this morning I'd like to talk about uh, to step back and talk about something that doesn't get addressed a whole lot uh, in our study of Acts, we saw this kind of, we've seen this pushback against the Gentile mission by the Jews. Um, and and um, there, were, there was a, an effort by the, um, the, the fun guys, the circumcision party, uh, to make the Gentiles to be Jews by forcing them or calling on them to follow the law. And we found in our study so far that the gospel has no such barriers to Christ, right? There, there isn't a, you do this to get to Jesus. He's made the way. It's His finished work, right? So, if the gospel has no such barrier, how do you know that you're in Christ? How do you have confidence that you're in Christ? Is there a way that we could say, I know that I know that I know I know that I'm in Jesus. How do we know? Um, I, I heard a I've heard this before, and and, and recently another similar anecdotal experience where a guy who who says he loves Christ and yet is convinced that he's not one of the elect. I can't, I, I know God wouldn't accept me. I'm not part of, you know, he's wrestling with God's sovereignty and salvation and somehow can peek inside the, the veil where God is making his own decisions in the counsel of his own will and we're going to decide what God has decided on, on that issue. Rather than, is there a way, is there confidence that we can have that we are truly in Christ? And what am I getting at? I'll tell you what I'm getting at. We all sin. We still do it. And sometimes it's really ugly. 
how do I know if my life has these kinds of blots on it that I'm truly saved? Do, am I the only one that wrestles with that? Yes, thank you. Jenny, can you come teach this? Because I do. I do. <laughs> can you make it a Nerf gun? Just a Nerf gun. Just instead of a stone. Um, I, I wrestle with this a lot. I do. It, it, is a, it is a struggle in my own heart whenever I have some kind of reaction to some situation that's not Christ-like. Not at all. How can I act that way if I'm truly in Jesus? Shouldn't my heart be, I'm, I'm approaching 50. It's coming. It's like a train staring me down. And yet I still have these issues in my own heart that I wrestle with. How, how can I say I'm a believer if I've still got this junk? How do you know that you're in Christ when you still sin? Can you be sure that you're saved? How? When we're looking at this, we have four types of people. I mean, if we're going to handle it logically, we have four types of people. We have those who believe that they are in Christ, and they are, right? That's category number one. Category number two would be those who don't believe that they're in Christ, and they're not, right? Pretty clear on those guys. Um, the other is, the, those who don't think that they're in Christ, but they are. They're uncertain, they're unsure, but God has done a work. They're just wrestling with the faith there on, am I in Him, right? The other is, they think they are, but they're not. And that's, that's the one that keeps me up late at night. Right? Does that make sense? Does, if, we're, if we're logically doing things, those are our categories. And then, when you're worrying about this person, am I this person? When you're worrying about that, you read things like Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, when I was 15, this gave me ulcers. <laughs> Thinking about, now granted, Philip has done a wonderful job of handling this passage and showing us that that's not what's involved there, but the picture is mighty scary. John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Not a pleasant thought. How do I know that I'm abiding in him? Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, For it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, this is not an obviously lightweight person, right? They are experiencing these things, participating in these things. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. What in the world? What am I to do with that? Can I fall away? All right. Take a breath. I, I want to, hopefully, 
give you some biblical grounding on how to handle this. Because uh, when the emotions run wild in the middle of the night, there are anchors for our soul that are in Scripture. And the first one is Scripture. <laughs> the source of Scripture is objective. It's completely outside of ourselves, completely outside of our emotions. It's trusting in the truth of the Bible that points us to faith in, guess what? The finished work of Christ. It's His work. The finished work of Christ and His blood that atones for our rebelling against God. Hebrews 6 does have more words than just 4 through 6. And in verse 17 and 18 it says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope before us. It's been rightly said that the assurance of salvation is not based upon what we feel, but what Christ felt. Does that make sense? If we look to our feelings for our assurance that we're in Christ, we will always be in turmoil. It's what He's gone through, what He's done. And this is anchored in Scripture. What it says uh, is objective to us, not uh, our, our feelings. His accomplishment, not our efforts in holiness, not our feelings of comfort and security. This is the objective ground for our assurance of salvation and we are directed there by His Word. Acts 16, 30-31. Then He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The anchor is Christ from the Word. We talk a lot about, um, we talk a lot about election and sovereignty and, and those kinds of things around here. And that's, those are good things to discuss. But I think we also, and, I, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, we often forget that the same apostle that wrote Romans 9 also wrote Romans 10. They logically follow one another, actually. In our experience, in our, from our perspective, what, what are we called to do? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the calling. It's the trusting in Jesus. We can discuss why a person may call. That's a healthy discussion. But you've got to call. You've got to believe on Jesus. There's a promise in the calling. You will be saved. That's not a might be. That's not a maybe. You call on Him. You trust in who He is. Objectively, the first evidence we have is God's Word. You will be saved. Can you guess what the second one is? The second evidence that we are in Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is working? What do we? Fruit. Fruit. What do you mean by that? Changed life. Obedience. Ch changed life. Obedience. 
Okay? I fail at that. How do you feel when you fail? What is your response to failure? Repentance is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Yeah? Okay. Well, maybe we can talk another time about the difference between repentance and remorse. Esau felt remorse. But true repentance is Godward. We've had this discussion before. True repentance is Godward. I've, you and you alone have I offended and done evil in your sight, David said, Psalm 51. Um, Wash me. Only you can wash me. Only you can atone for what I've done, David said. That repentance that leads to godliness, that leads to life, other, other places it's described, is, um, is a, a working of the Holy Spirit. Faith alone in Christ alone, but not by faith it is alone. That is a, 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 a clarion cry of the Reformers. Faith in Christ alone, but not a faith that is alone. With our trusting in Jesus comes, a, a, comes fruit, right? 2 Peter 1, may help, be helpful on this. 2 Peter 1, I'm, yeah, 2 Peter, I said 1 Peter. No, I didn't. Okay, 1, 3 through 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Let me read that again. You may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, what does that mean? I'm not Mormon. As God once was, so are we. As God is, so we will be. And we, that's not us. That's not Christianity. It's Christ's nature. He has a divine nature. He has a divine nature. It's applied to us. Okay. How? By His sovereign work. By His sovereign work. Okay. I'll, I will grant you it's sovereign. And faith and repentance and, in the Holy Spirit. And faith and repentance in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is His divine nature. We are given the Holy Spirit as a seal, right, of our, of our salvation. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14, 11 through 14, that area. That is a seal of, of our guarantee, a seal of the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And that's the way that works. So we have the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. The working out of that, it's a seal. What's a seal? When you, when you get a guarantee of something, what is that? Promise. A promise. An evidence of, of a future promise, isn't it? If I'm buying a house and you want to assure the seller that you're serious, what do you do? I really, 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 really want to buy the house. No. They want to see the quan. They want the cash. So you put down a down payment, an earnest money, uh, a guarantee of your inheritance for the seller, the purchase price, until you acquire possession of it. <laughs> until then, it means nothing, right? Unless you have money, skin in the game, it doesn't matter. Christ has given a given put. Well, he's put his skin in the game. 
He's given us His Spirit as a guarantee. The third person of the Trinity rests in us and works in us. All right. Become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Notice it's a progressive deal. Do you see that? Because you're still fighting your sin, Realize it's a progressive deal. I'm fighting this today. I'll be fighting a more advanced version of this tomorrow. <laughs> because as he's drawing me away from the city of man into the city of God, I'm having to shed some things. And they're deeper and deeper and deeper. And, they, and, they, and sometimes I go back to them. We backtrack. And, but it's a progressive deal, this work of the Holy Spirit. It's Peter's seven-step program. Peter's seven-step program, okay? Uh, this evidence of fruit is a little tricky. Why do I say that? By what standard do you measure the fruit? Yes. According to whom? The, um, the legalists the fun guys and acts would measure the fruit by externals. I, I don't know how they check those. Um, I guess temple stuff's pretty easy to check, but the others, you know, just the honor system, I guess, is what they would use. That's one standard. That's not a valid standard. Do we have similar things? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't dance with girls who do, I guess, is some of those externals that we could set up as rules uh, for determining whether or not. That's not the standard, is it? We're real good in our, uh, in our well, I'll just say, the human race is very good about dividing up into like-mindedness and then elevating our like-mindedness above to primary and then judging everybody else by primary, which should be a tertiary. Does that make sense? Do we do that? I do that. Um, I mean, I really don't think that you have the perfect haircut unless it's completely bald. I just, I feel that deep in my, the rest of you need to catch up. Try it, Kevin. And I appreciate the effort. You're almost, remember, it's progressive. You'll get there. Um, we all judge each other by our own set of standards, but that's not what Scripture's called us to do. He's, he's called us to inspect ourselves based on His standard. Who determines the nature of true biblical fruit as opposed to the pet ideas of our particular group? Do we judge ourselves, or does a leader inspect and evaluate our fruit? Some look to a zealous spirit. Others see correct theology as the only true test. Some commend an act as charity, while others condemn it as compromise. What are our essentials here? What are, what are the essentials that we, that we can determine fruit in ourselves is biblical fruit? Is there any passage, any indication somewhere where that would be helpful? Can you think of something? Galatians. Galatians. 
Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. And where would that be again? Galatians 5. 5. Do you have it? And is it helpful? When we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit and, and how the expression of the fruit of the Spirit in, is, is, a, is, a, is a measure of assurance for us in Christ. As long as, long as it's not a <coughs> checklist of things that you didn't uh, Exactly. <laughs> you can turn it around very easily. Exactly. That's exactly right. You can have false fruit. Looks very similar. Crab apples. Crab those are helpful though with breeding other grapples. So. Right. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because I can say that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit and believe that, rightfully, that it is, and blow it. I often do. Usually when I'm doing the yard. Uh, but that's another story we'll talk about another time. Um, it's easy to, to say, this is a fruit of the Spirit, and say, nuts. Right? It, sin messes with your confidence in your relationship with Christ. It just does. So we have this sort of list in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Incidentally, you ever notice that it's singular fruit? Just one fruit? Many tastes, maybe? I don't know how you, how you do that. Singular fruit? And each one of those elements of the fruit of the Spirit can only be expressed in community? I can't have patience with just myself. That's called, you know, pride. <laughs> right? Each one of these things is only operative, for reals though, in community. In community. Um, and yet, if we use it as a checklist, we fail. It's slippery, isn't it? There's a great Puritan expression. For every one look that you take at yourself, take ten at Christ. He's our standard. We trust in Him. We're confident in Him. This is, a, this is something to analyze and dress. And am I growing? I want to know that. I want to make, sure, make my calling and election sure. Well, what's the ultimate basis for our calling and election? I trust Jesus. And out of that trust of Him, prizing Him, what we become what we worship, out of that prizing of Him, I do see a trend toward more self-control, where I shut my mouth instead of just, you know, talking loudly. I do see more kindness instead of what is resident in me, which is not kindness. Gentleness, mm -mm, that's got to be for the Spirit. I see some of that. Maybe not to the level that others have a more natural bent toward it, but it's certainly better than I have been. And that's because of what He's doing, not because of what I'm doing. And that's the key, isn't it? I'm relying upon who He is and what He's done, His finished work. So you have objective, 
the Word, right? The promises of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You have subjective kind of, where am I on this growth in Christ thing? How am I repenting? Am I convicted of my sin when it happens? Am I trusting in Jesus and not just wallowing in it? Am I seeing an increase in kindness and gentleness? Thank you for your finished work, Jesus. Right? So there's, there's two. Subjective fruit, objective the word, and then there's this third one. And, and this one makes me uncomfortable. But it's in Scripture, so we've got to deal with it, right? It's kind of mystical. It's the confirmation of the Holy Spirit Himself. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. What do you make of a statement like that? As very logical, doctrine-oriented Calvinists, what do you do with the mystical work of the Holy Spirit in your life confirming that you are a child of God. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? You believe it. Very good. See, again, it's the first and second fruit. Already uh, signs, already working in, in Stuart's life. That's wonderful. Thank you. That's me. It says this. Inspecting fruit can even lead to a type of legalism. We've talked about that. So the Bible shows us another test. Romans 8, 15, and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I, um, I think, I, I said this to, who was I talking? Anyway, I was talking to somebody a while back. There, there is a trend, a tendency, I think, among Reformed folks to be afraid of emotion. Does that make sense? We don't, um, we don't like it. We foam with the mouth when we talk about operating of the Spirit and this kind of stuff. It's just kind of this, oh, this you know, sephirtic thing or whatever. I don't know. We get weirded out about, um, about charismaticism. We can be so afraid of emotions that we deny any possibility of a direct ministry of the Holy Spirit to the sinner, other than regeneration. We got that one down, right? We know that has to happen first. But how does he work in the life of the believer? Affirming that the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you belong to Jesus does not make you a charismatic. Okay? That's Romans 8. <laughs> and it's real close to Romans 9, so we're feeling really good about that. It doesn't make you charismatic to say the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. Yes, yes. He, to do what He calls us to do. Philippians, we work because He's working. Right, right. So you have, uh, you have this statement that the Spirit Himself bears with this mystical thing that goes on here. Our experiences must be informed by truth that is conveyed, understood, and believed in our minds. We are called to love God with our minds. That's true. But that does not negate the Spirit's work in the heart and soul as well. The two are not mutually exclusive. Because I feel something doesn't mean that, oh, I'm drifting away from using my mind. No. The mind informs the heart. And the heart, we want that to respond. If you're responding with the heart, that's... Huge. The Holy Spirit will not work contrarily to His Word, but
but he doesn't need to confirm his presence in your life by tying it to a specific text all the time. Here's the thing. Um, I know we fight against the whole personal revelation stuff, and, and rightly so. I mean, if you're, if you're having a personal revelation uh, from God and it's consistent with Scripture, then it's unnecessary. If you're having a personal revelation from God and it is inconsistent with Scripture, then we have bigger problems than it being unnecessary. So why seek the personal revelation stuff? It's just not helpful. Nevertheless, there is illumination of the Holy Spirit that happens in the life of a believer. Things are confirmed to us. The truth of things are confirmed, not just mentally. I think some of these illuminations, oh, God spoke. Well, he, he may be, he is, confirming his word and it just explodes in your heart. And I've told y'all before, one of the examples of that that I had was working through Ephesians. The, uh, even as he chose us in him, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Right? That whole, I was walking and quoting, the dogs are running around. And, and then it just hit me. Why would he say holy and blameless before him? Choosing us to be holy and blameless. Well, holiness is a state of being. I am holy because of the finished work of Christ. Blameless, what is that? If you're going to be blamed for something, it's something that's already happened. So you have in this one little, all the words in Scripture are just these, the Holy Spirit's very efficient. <laughs> and you start peeling away these things, it just explodes. The blameless is everything I've done before. He chose me to make me not accountable for the, everything that I've done before because of what Jesus has done. And now I'm sitting in holiness because of what Jesus has done. Even now, and, and again, it's a promise. It's an objective promise. I can rest in that and be assured of that. That's illumination. That's not a personal revelation. That's not, nothing, that's not something different than what Scripture says. It's not something that's really unique to me, but it exploded in me confidence that I can have in the finished work of Christ. That's an example of that. Um, here's a, 1 John 3, 1-3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. I love the shalls in there. In legal terms, that is a definite, not bending, it's, it's done, it's a done deal. Shall, you shall, means there's no wiggle room there. I love that they translated it that way, because I, it just makes me happy. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's the result of fruit. Because we hope in him, we um, work to purify. There's a mystical element to this, a settling in the heart that cannot be put in terms of a logical syllogism. What do we do with this? If we have three proofs from Scripture that we are in Christ, what do we do with this? Many times... We focus on one evidence and not the others. We focus on, so the Word says this, the Word says this, the Word says And that's a good focus, but we don't focus on, am I growing? Many times we focus on just our fruit. Look at me, I'm kinder than I was before. I'm more humble than I was before. Um, <laughs> we just focus on one element. 
and not focusing on, see, bear witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. You need all three. And I thought of an example. It's not unique to me. Um, if you were to ask me, Kevin, how do you know you're married? I have an objective proof. I have subjective proof that you can verify. And I have a mystical proof. Right? If I just give you one of those, arguably you made that he's deluded. If I just showed you the marriage license that the state of Texas gave Tammy and I back in 1996, here in the great county of Smith, <laughs> is he really married just because the state says so? Right? If I just pointed you toward the fruit of our marriage, most obviously, you know, most people think fruit of marriage, kids, right? There are other more subtle fruits of marriage, you know, than just kids. When you see a man who picks his underwear off the floor habitually, that man's married. <laughs> when you see a man who isn't trying to grow some kind of science experiment in the toilet bowl, <laughs> but actually cleans it, that man is married. There are subtle, less obvious fruits of marriage, but probably the one we're most used to is kids. I can point you to Emma, Audrey, and Nathaniel as the fruit of mine and Tammy's marriage. Um, probably not going to go into the times that I remember to drop the toilet seat at night so I didn't hear a screaming wife at 2 a.m. What in the world? Not, I hear stories. Um, the fruit that's obvious to you is our kids, right? Okay, the third thing, but if I just focused on that, is that evidence? Just that you have kids? Does that mean you're married? Child support laws all over the country would differ on that. So just that alone is not, is not evidence of that. If you ask me, Kevin, how do you know you're married? And I just got a big goofy, goofy grin on my face and said, I sure am, you know, I love her. That alone, she may not feel the same way. <laughs> who? Kevin who? You know, I love her. And that's not marriage. <laughs> Guys, that's not marriage. <laughs> Girls, that's not marriage. Just the mystical feeling of love is not in and of itself an evidence of marriage. But you take all three, well, you have assurance that something's going on there, right? I have the objective word. I have a changed life that's growing. And I love him. I love Christ. That trend should confirm to me you are the children of God now. That should confirm it. The objective evidence is the Word of God, the promises of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The subjective would be the fruit of a changed life, the fruit of the Spirit that we see growing. Again, because of the finished work of Jesus. We don't do the checklist thing, but because of the finished work of Jesus. And the third one is 
the confirmation of the Spirit, the emotional connection that I have in my union with Christ. Um, we can quote lots of Scripture and have no evidence of change in our lives. That's a red flag on real faith. We can be good little boys and girls and have none of it rooted in Scripture. That's just our cultural context that you should give at church, that you should be kind, that you should not address problems often. That's not, <laughs> that's not, that's a red flag. We're just doing what the group thinks is good, and, and whether the group is Roman Catholic or Southern Baptist doesn't matter. We're just being good little boys and girls. That's, that's not confidence. We could be the one who has had a real experience. It was real experience. And is not interested in anything except feelings. I don't like the band at church because I don't use the fog machine. That always just, I just always, that's God's presence, the fog machine. And the, and the flashy lights. I, just, I, I know that I'm His when I can't see anybody else around me except for the flashy lights. That's a red flag if we need those experiences to be confirmed. There's a lot of times in your life that you don't feel. You better hang on to the other two. <laughs> and there are times when you feel great emotion for what Christ has done. And that out of the fallen humanity, He saw fit for whatever reason to call you out of darkness into His marvelous light. There's great emotion there. Some, some wise soul has divided up Christians into three camps. The doers, the thinkers, and the feelers. The doers tend to be the free will types with the do list. They got the Galatians 5 written on the fridge and yes, I did this today, I did this today, I did this today. The, the thinkers tend to be Calvinists who are just like trying to figure out everything and convince everybody else that their theory of this is right and we get on Facebook for hours and hours on end with these long long pages of I just can't stand when people do that and the feelers the feelers are often charismatic types you know woo um, each group sees assurance differently right they see it differently well-rounded assurance full assurance as is talked about in the scripture has all three. I need to know Scripture. I need to know the one I love. And this is the way He communicates to me. This is how He tells me who He is. I need to know that. I need to see transformation because of that. And in that, I need to check my own heart. Is my heart warm toward Him? If not, I need to be in prayer. Holy Spirit, warm my heart. Give me a zeal to love you more. All three of those are, um, are important. I, 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 um, I believe that we should examine our hearts to test for right motives. Um, but I don't care how long you look at your own heart. You're only going to find sin there. <laughs> because we're, we're in process. The more you look, the more convinced you are in your own heart. Ah! Again, we have to focus on the finished work of Jesus. Doesn't mean you don't analyze where you are, but come to the point of how great is the love of God for us that He would give us Christ. 
given where my heart is, even right now, that he would still love me. That should explode in thankfulness. Um, we, um, we, we, we learn the truth of Scripture not to spot a heretic a mile away, but because we see Jesus in those pages. We fight for holiness not to bootstrap our assurance through a tidy to-do list, but because we want to look more like Jesus. Thinking and doing is not done for their own sake, but because we love Him. And that's not a Vulcan kind of love. Fight it, Calvinists, to be Vulcan. You're not Vulcans. The Puritans, whom we claim as our forebears, talked about experiential Christianity. They wanted to see and feel and savor the work of the Spirit in their lives. It wasn't a checklist. It wasn't uh, just um, isolated truth. These doctrines should mean something to us and, and drive us to live a certain way because of who He is and what we learn about Him as we study them. It's hope-filled. It's the can't wait till he returns kind of love. Those evidence are worked out and proven in the context of community. What do we discuss? I can't wait till he comes back. I can't wait. I long for the day that I will be made like him for I will see him as he is. What a day. Do we rest there? Do our hearts rest there? The assurance we have Objective in the Word, what does it say? The, the transformed life that we're watching work itself out. And in each other, not just ourselves, by the way. I mean, we see that in each other, too. Be free with your... Man, I love seeing this in you. What an evidence of grace in your life that I saw you do this. Keep doing that. Keep doing more of that. That's building one another up. And that helps your brother's assurance. D does that make sense? All right. Any, any other statements, any questions, comments, fruit to be thrown on this issue? I found one scripture that Ronald Bell was talking about um, how to answer the question of the mystical uh, spirit confirming with your spirit. Right. And I brought it up before when you taught on a similar mm -hmm. topic, but John 7, um, 17 says, this Jesus saying, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Mm. So it's, I mean, he's talking about a specific instance to right. specific people, but the principle of if your will is aligned with God, you're going to know truth better. My sheep know my voice. Huh? My sheep know my voice. That's the idea. He's, yeah, very good. So you're saying, just for those on the other side of the room, you're saying that um, if you love me, if you want to do my will, you will know that the, that the stuff in red, at least, is, is true. No, the, the, the scripture is true. It's familiar. It's familiar enough to you. And, and, and because, the spirit. because the Spirit bears witness, there's this, this is, launches us into another topic, by the way. How do we know the Bible is true? Self-authentication of the Word of God. Yes? I think one other verification is the church itself. Uh, people that you are in unity and community with mm -hmm. should be uh, fruit inspectors of you. You should be fruit inspectors of them and they you. And so uh, people that are respected in your church community should fully know who you are. You need right. To with them and you need to evaluate right. where you are. Right. Preferably somebody older and wiser. And yes. I think that's a I agree. aspect. Yes. 
I, I, I think I think true. There needs to be some inspection, but you need to be careful with that. Because I mean, if you're if you're feeling very confident in your salvation and like, hey, I am I am on my way, and I'll take I'll gladly take my spiritual gift is accusation. <laughs> now it's not born of the Holy Spirit; it's from somewhere else, but it's still a gift. <laughs> And I apply it to myself a lot. So yes, we want to be fruit inspectors, but at the same time, we've got to be careful how we do that. We need to do that in love and building each other up and, and realizing that we're all in process. Um, good. It also says that you'll know them by the love of the brethren, right? Somewhere else. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if we know them by your love for one another, Jesus said. Yeah. So, and, and in First John also says the same thing. He's, he's mirroring what Jesus said earlier. Yeah, exactly. So if we're going to look at hierarchies of relationship with one another... It's to love for one another, and that involves fruit inspection, but it's done for the purpose of building up, not, I'm so glad I don't wrestle with that, you heathen. We don't want that. Uh, okay, anything else? I saw uh, Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And it's interesting how that correlates, not only to our will, mention his will, right. but to... Your fruit is all false. Right. His will, anyways. Right. Yeah. If that's if that's the if that is the pattern of your life is to disobey what's clearly been revealed. How do I know that? There's another one we're talking about. How do I know the will of God? We'll do the stuff that's written first. (laughs) Once you got that down, we'll talk. (laughs) And it's in the working out of what's written that the Holy Spirit moves you to do those stepping stones to. Yes, just do something. Um, just do it, yeah. All right. Are we, are we anything else? I think, I think it's 10, 12. And in order to love our neighbors in the other room, those of you who need to play on stage, we probably should go ahead and pray and move forward. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do and confirm to us that we are the children, the children of God, <clears throat> that Christ, that Christ's atonement has applied to us, even though we may be wrestling with sin that is overtaking us easily. We feel no victory. We feel defeated. We feel sometimes that our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling when we want to pray. Would you do what only you can do, which is grant us again the gift of repentance and faith in your Son, that those mercies are renewed every morning because of the finished work of Christ. Remind us to look at Him, how He lived, why He died, that He rose. That means everything. I pray that it would have an effect on how we love one another, how we challenge one another, how we build one another up in the faith that we have in our risen Savior. 
Be with us as we go into the next service, we pray. May the Spirit speak to the church this morning what she needs to hear. May we have ears to hear it, hearts to feel it, hands to do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.